think it's fair to say that as humans in the modern era, and especially in the developed world, we're spared from most of the diseases that historically plagued humanity. We can usually relate to that great old song by Humble Pie, I Don't Need No Doctor. But sometimes we do get sick, and that can range from irritating cold to a miserable case of the flu, or something really scary like Ebola or Zika virus. So then sometimes we can better relate to the Van Halen song, Somebody Get Me a Doctor. Well, guess what? Plants get sick too. That's right. Just like us, plants can get diseases. And just as with us, there are times that we need medicine. There are times when the plants that feed us need to be protected from the things that make them sick. So my name is Steve Savage, and this is Pop Agriculture. This is Pop Agriculture, the podcast that blends pop culture with agriculture to tell the stories of the plants, processes, and people who have shaped modern crop production. A true farm-to-table connection that puts food into perspective with your passionate plant scientist host, Steve Savage. So you may not have ever had any reason to think about it, but plants get sick too. And it's not just crops. Not long after I started first learning about agriculture in in graduate school, I had the chance to take my wife back to Colorado to hike in one of my favorite wilderness areas near Aspen. We climbed up some beautiful alpine meadows at about 12,000 feet and above the tree line. It was just as idyllic as I remembered. It's the legit kind of Rocky Mountain High. However, with the new eyes that I had from my little bit of ag experience, I noticed that Some of the wildflowers showed signs of pest damage, and some of them were infected with a plant disease called a rust. There were pests in paradise. And that's when I realized that what we call pests are really just part of the natural order. They're not some artifact of agriculture. And it makes sense. Only plants can capture the sun's energy and turn it into food. So lots of other organisms are going to evolve to tap into that food supply. And some of those consumers are going to be parasites. So plants do get sick. Like humans, they can be infected with bacteria and viruses, but a lot of plant diseases are caused by fungi. Now, diseases involving a fungus are less familiar for people, but we do get fungal diseases. Maybe the most recognizable example would be athlete's foot fungus, or we can get some yeast diseases like candida, and that's a fungus. And there's Even a potentially deadly lung disease called valley fever that's a fungal disease that some people get from exposure to dust in central California. But looking back at history, the fungi that attack our crops have sometimes been a huge problem for people. Sick plants can be a problem for people, and I'll give you a few examples. When Europeans first came to the Americas around 500 years ago, they found a lot of interesting things, interesting plants, interesting crops that then became very important around the world. I mean, some examples are corn or blueberries or tomatoes or tobacco. And one important crop found in the New World was the potato. Now, it was native to the Andes Mountains, and the Europeans brought it back to Europe in the 1500s, and over time, it became actually a very important staple crop. It would grow well even in the northern parts of Europe, and it stored well. So it became a major source of calories for Europeans at that time. 
Now, in Ireland, it became a key food source, and particularly so for the poorer members of society. Well, there's a disease of potatoes. It's caused by kind of a weird category of microbes called water molds. They're like a fungus, but they're more related to algae. They have cellulose cell walls. Anyway, this disease probably originated in the highlands of Mexico, but somehow it eventually made its way to Europe in the 1840s. And it caused a disease that was called late blight that would just devastate the potato plants. Now, all the potatoes that were being grown throughout Europe were able to be infected by this fungus, but the cultivar that had become particularly dominant in Ireland turned out to be super susceptible. So there were some big crop failures in 1845 and 1849 caused by the disease, just wiped out the crop. And because of some very unfortunate political and economic factors, there wasn't really access to any other food for the poor people. And uh, in Irish, that event became known as Ungorta Mor, or the Great Hunger. It's estimated that as many as a million people starved and that about a million people emigrated, a lot of those to the U.S. That's probably the most dramatic example of how sick plants impact humans, at least in recent history. Sick plants haven't just had an impact on poor people. There's a plant disease that changed hot beverage consumption in English society. Now, coffee is a crop that originated in Africa, but its early commercial production shifted to Asia. The Dutch were the first real importers of coffee to Europe, but over time the English took over some of the areas where the coffee was being produced. By 1870, English-controlled Ceylon, which we would now call Sri Lanka, was the biggest producer and had something like 400,000 acres of coffee trees. And that's where our slang term Java comes from for coffee. Well, there's a disease of coffee called coffee rust, and it originated in Ethiopia, and somehow it reached Ceylon around 1875, and it started to really seriously compromise coffee production. And within 20 years, most of the plantations had been abandoned. And it's often said that the reason that the English switched over to drinking tea is that their supply of coffee was destroyed by this disease of plants. So this is obviously not as dire an example as the Irish potato famine, but it's an interesting example of how a plant disease can infect an entire culture and what it uses for its morning caffeine buzz. Well, over time, the production of coffee shifted largely to Central and South America, and for at least a time, the crop managed to escape this disease. Well, there's another favorite beverage that was threatened by sick plants. In 1878, European wine grape growers began to notice a new disease in their vineyard, and they, they called it downy mildew, and it's related to that fungus that caused the great hunger by attacking potatoes. But this time, the threat was to wine production. Well, within a few years, nearly all the vines in France were infected. What would happen is they'd lose their leaves early, the fruit clusters would be stunted, and they wouldn't mature properly. And as you can imagine, a seriously compromised wine harvest was a disaster in the view of French society. Well, there was a guy named Pierre Millardet, and he was a professor of botany at the University of Bordeaux. And in October of 1882, he was driving his carriage along a road in Saint-Julien, and the vineyards he was passing were a sad sight. And as a Frenchman and as a plant scientist, 
he was seriously worried about the entire future of that crop. Then he noticed that one of the vineyards by the road looked a lot healthier than the rest. The vines still had leaves. So he stopped and looked closer, and the leaves and fruit looked good. But they had this sort of weird powdery blue substance on them. So he found the vineyard manager and asked him what was going on, and the manager explained that he and some of the other growers in the area had really just gotten tired of people coming along the roads and helping themselves to his grapes. So he'd come up with this mixture of copper sulfate and hydrated lime, and he sprayed it on the grapes basically to make them look unappealing so people wouldn't steal them. What Millardet realized was that in this effort to prevent theft, these growers had accidentally discovered a medicine for the vines, what we would now call a fungicide. Miller Day did some more work with that and with the same vineyard manager, and in 1885, he began to promote this concoction as the Bordeaux mixture. And it became an important new tool for fighting diseases of plants. It actually ended up helping protect the potatoes from late blight. So for quite a while, the state of the art for dealing with fungal diseases of crops was to use various mineral-based fungicides, products like this copper and sulfur. And these fungicides help, but they had to be applied at pretty high rates, several pounds per acre, and they had to be reapplied over and over again. Fortunately, people have discovered much better options now, and uh, that's why you'll rarely have trouble finding that nice bottle of red wine. Well, the first synthetic chemical fungicide class called dithiocarbamates, was actually discovered at Cornell University in 1930. And then throughout the 40s to 60s, several more classes were developed. And these, these had less environmental and health issues than some of those early metallic compounds, but they still had to be used at like one to three pounds at each application. But then starting in the 1970s, researchers started to find new classes of synthetic fungicides that had more attractive properties. These particular treatments were effective on fungal diseases because they inhibited some specific enzyme, something that the fungal pathogen needs, but something that doesn't even occur in animals and plants in terms of an enzyme. So what the term for this is a mode of action, and a mode of action that's more specific to an enzyme allows it to work at a few ounces instead of a few pounds, and allows it to be essentially non-toxic to us or to other non-target organisms like birds or bees or fish. And some of these new fungicides could move inside the plant a little bit and even move with the growing shoot, so they didn't have to be applied so often. And it worked better. Now, unlike an element like copper, these things could be broken down over time, either by the plant or by the microbes on the surface of the plant. And that meant that there didn't necessarily have to be any residues left by the time the crop was harvested. And it meant that they didn't accumulate in the soil like copper could. Now, there is one downside to these new fungicides that target a very specific enzyme in the pest. It is possible for the pest to mutate and then become resistant. Now, the old mineral-based fungicides and some of the early synthetic ones are called multi-site inhibitors, meaning that they don't affect just one enzyme, they affect quite a few things. And those pests don't seem to be able to become resistant to those very easily. And that's why some of those, uh, the safest examples of those old materials are still used to some extent. 
uh, for what's called resistance management. Back in the 70s, the crop protection industry set up an organization called the Fungicide Resistance Action Committee, or FRAC. And what FRAC does is it keeps track of, well, what are all the different ways that fungicides work? And they really encourage farmers to mix and match those modes of action throughout a season. So it's a lot less likely that they would ever accidentally select for a resistant type. And currently, FRAC recognizes something like 50 different modes of action. And uh, the industry-wide stewardship effort has been paying off in the sense that those are mostly still available and working for farmers. So today, we're able to enjoy our coffee and our potatoes and our wine. And it's not because the crops can't still get sick when they're infected by those old diseases. In fact, the coffee rust disease is caught up with those plantings in the Americas, and uh, those definitely have to be protected with fungicides today. And the grapes of Europe are still susceptible to downy mildew and other diseases, but those production systems are able to reliably achieve the kind of quality that we would hope for because of the fungicides available. Now, potatoes are an interesting new stage. Using the tools of biotechnology, it's been possible to move some resistance genes from wild potatoes from the Andes into the kinds of potatoes that work as foods for us. And those plants have just recently been approved for use both in the U.S. and Canada. And I really hope that some growers are allowed to use these new potatoes. It's really mostly up to brand-sensitive players in the fast food and grocery retail industry. But if farmers do get to use them, they'll be wise to continue using some fungicides because otherwise uh, the disease might mutate and overcome that nice genetic resistance. So really a combination of resistance and fungicides is, is probably the most sustainable path going forward. So yes, plants get sick too. And just as with human health, we've come a long way in terms of solutions, particularly for these fungal diseases. So thanks for listening to another episode of Pop Agriculture. And uh, next time you think about being sick, remember, plants can get sick too. You can follow me on Twitter at GrapeDoc, at G-R-A-P-E-D-O-C, and visit my blog at www.popagriculture.com.